You are listening to Written in the Stars, Books and Beyond, where hosts from the LCC Library sit down with writers, publishers, entrepreneurs, and literary enthusiasts of all types. Join your hosts, Amy Ewald, Robin Moore, John Salaji, and Abby Tebow as we explore the very heart of the written word. Welcome to Written in the Stars, Books and Beyond. I'm Robin Moore, and I'm joined by my co-host, John Salaiji. Today, we have the pleasure of hosting author Dr. Jennifer Wimbish, who will be discussing her book, Leadership Wisdom for All Generations. Leadership Wisdom for All Generations invites us on a transformative journey, offering, offering valuable leadership principles and reflective practices that can be life-changing. Dr. Wimbush shares profound insights drawn from her personal experience and wisdom she has gleaned from remarkable leaders who have left a lasting impact on her life. Among the leaders mentioned is former LCC President Abel Seitz. Welcome, Dr. Wimbush. Thank you for being here. Thank you. So my first question for you is kind of about the structure of your book. At the beginning, you recommend different chapters for different audiences. For example, you su suggest youth or students read chapters one through four. What made you structure your book this way? Well, in the beginning, I'm talking about things that shaped my character. And so often college students and high school students uh, are most interested in those pieces where experienced leaders are more interested in things like how do you create shared missions for organizations to work together? So there are some that I'd suggest everyone read and then some for the different populations. I do one for women. Mm -hmm. How do you advance your career and not lose your child and your husband? You mentioned the first chapters have a lot of experiences from your youth and your teen years. Uh, what were some of the things that really stood out to you from, from those years that you would recommend to young folks who are aspiring leaders? Well, the, the big thing I was taught was always to be excellent and to do your best every day because every day counts. Uh, and so that's extremely important. Uh, and I share the story that, hey, if a doctor had to deliver 100 babies and drop 10, that wouldn't be good. And so that was a very, very important piece. And then the whole notion of telling the truth, mm. even when it's difficult, and especially when you're young, to try a lot of things to see what you like so that by the time you get through high school, you have some sense of what you want your career to be. Dr. Wimbush, you should have kind of hit on this question. How does this book cross generational divides and how can it help today's college student? Well, the things that are in the book, all leaders need. So everyone needs to understand how to communicate and how to talk to people when you're planning a project for them. So it crosses across all generations in that anybody leading needs to know those basic principles. And then if you are a very experienced leader, then especially in the second edition, I talk about more complex issues. How do you lead a thousand organizations as compared to the five to eight I grew up with? 
That, that's complex. And so what things do you need to know about that? I'm glad you lifted that about experienced leaders, because that was going to be my next question. How can this book benefit or help out um, experienced leaders? So thank you for lifting that. Well, you know, often people don't know what they don't know. Mm. And so especially when I talk about that, the hardest thing for a leader to do is to communicate the vision so everybody can hear, see, feel, touch and move with it. People don't think about that. So even experienced leaders to know that. But then as we move on and I talk about things around um, how do you create uh, a vision that's simple so that people know what it means? Uh, the whole notion of how do you establish a network? Everything is about relationships. So when you're an experienced leader, you have to have a political agenda. You have to have an economic agenda. You have to have a social justice agenda. You have to have a money agenda. So how do you make sure you know influencers that will help you with anything you want to do? So sure, young leaders need to know that. But as you become more experienced, it's things like that that I share uh, and hone in on that's very important. You mentioned, especially for young leaders, the importance of building networks. What are some good ways for young leaders to build networks? Well, you know, as a young person, I say, and I was taught, first, you need to hang around with great people. So you need to know uh, what you want to do and then connect there. But we just teach simply that when you go into an organization or somewhere, say, who are the 10 people here that makes things happen? It's that simple. And then you get to know those individuals, you interview them, and then you say, especially when you're new in an organization, this is what I want to do. Can you help me with that? Do you have suggestions about that? And usually then they are giving you good ideas. You raise the idea up and they're committed to helping you. So it's just asking people who makes things happen. You were talking about it a little bit there, and you talk about a lot in your book, mentoring relationships. And I know that one of the people you talk about in the book is Dr. Sykes. Yes. Um, and for our listeners who may not know, we are actually in the building named for Dr. Sykes right now, the Abel Sykes uh, Technology and Learning Center. And so could you tell us a little bit about working with Dr. Sykes and what Dr. Sykes was able to teach you? Yes, Dr. Sykes was a great leader, and he understood relationships. He also understood the importance of continuous improvement, that when you're doing something, you have to look at the impact of that on different individuals. He also understood that when you're doing something, you have to be close to the people. Uh, I always give the example, uh, you're working on uh, housing, and you decide by yourself what kind of houses people need. And so he was very much into that. And we were organized so that we all had to have relationships with the city. Back then, there were eight cities. Mm -hmm. And we all had relationships. And uh, I think I had Howell, for example. Mm -hmm. So I needed to know everything about Howell. And so I was the point person for Howell. So the community knew they could reach 
out to me and I could get a message to him and I would work with them. So that was important. But the thing that I remember the most is Dr. Sykes taught me the importance of the five whys and that leaders asked good questions. So whenever you went in to talk to him, he would say, why, why, why? By the time you get to the fifth why, you understand what's going on. So that was the thing that I most learned from him. The leader asked great questions. You don't have to know everything, but you have to ask great questions. When it comes to asking questions, especially from a leadership to try and gain more uh, knowledge, what are some examples of good questions? You say, you know, ask why questions. Mm. What are examples of good questions, way to draw out information? Well, you know, the basic foundational one is, tell me about the purpose Mm -hmm. of this project. Why are you doing it? Who are the people you want to impact? What do you know about those people? Tell me what the data says. Mm -hmm. Data, data. (laughs) Tell me what the information says. You know, you're a teacher. Tell me what the information says. Who's doing well? Who's not doing well? And so always, always those questions about research mm-hmm. and best practices and what do the people want? Those are always good questions. I'm so glad that you, you shared that, the why. It is extremely important. Um, there's a chapter when you realize you wanted to have a lifetime career in a community college. What makes community colleges so special and important to you, Dr. Wimber? Well, I've always been interested in helping students. Mm. And so sometimes research institutions are focused on research. And while I like that, I have always been interested in helping students. So the whole notion, there's not a community college in this country that can't take a student from an eighth grade reading level. Many of the students come to us at that and then take them to a 14th grade reading level. So the whole notion of helping students develop, to get clear about their purpose, and to excel, we do that so well. So that's what's exciting to me about the community college. So when did you find out, this is what I wanted to do, this helping? I'm hearing the word help. When did you find out in your life that, hey, I want to help students. This is what I want to do. Well, you know, I grew up in a town that Mm -hmm. believed that it takes a village to be a good community. Mm -hmm. So we just grew up knowing that if someone had a fire, Mm -hmm. people were going to do that. And so as I moved to college, I think at Hampton University, I learned that I liked helping People. We had a program for veterans. We'd go to the veteran hospital. Uh, and veterans who didn't have any family, we would talk to them. And it was at that moment I knew that. But it wasn't until I was much older. You know, I talk about in the book, you ought to write a purpose statement for your life, have strategic plans, goals, and objectives. What are my goals for my family? What are my goals for my career? That is very difficult. And so I share with people, there are all kinds of instruments that help you with that. So it was much later that I understood it at a very complex level. I noticed also in your book that, uh, speaking of creating a purpose statement for 
an individual, you have some tools in the back of the book that can do that. Can you kind of explain how people can use those tools? Well, you know, in the book, I say simply go through and pick one to three things that you, uh, it resonated with you and that you're going to integrate into your life daily, weekly. Then I say, and think about one thing that you would leave as a legacy that you want to tell other people as we keep the conversation going. And so often people need, uh, I have 12 things that I got from the book. What are the three that most would impact me? And how do I have a plan to do that one to two things ongoing? You've talked a little bit, and Robin asked you about um, helping students and how important that was for you. Um, but in the book, you also talk a lot about helping faculty, employees, everyone else who is at the college as well, especially as a leader, and really the idea of servant leadership. Mm -hmm. could, you, could you talk a little bit about that? Well, first thing, I think there are no big eyes and little U's. We all bleed blood, mm -hmm. so we're all the same. And so I have a philosophy of leading by walking around. Mm -hmm. And so I give everyone, uh, I used to every Thursday at 3 o'clock, anybody could come in and talk to me about anything. Mm -hmm. And so I learned their dreams uh, for the college, mm -hmm. and we could integrate those in. So it's important to me for everybody to feel like they are a part of the action. They are a part of the work I talk about, and people are always surprised uh, that I used to uh, do line dancing every, uh, maybe it was Tuesday from three to four. And so students would come and they were surprised that I could dance. Uh, <laughs> and then I used to do with the cheerleaders sometimes uh, something at uh, the basketball games. And uh, so it makes then the leader human and it makes people comfortable in saying the good, the bad, the ugly. Now, sometimes I have to say, uh, if people are going to talk about their supervisor, now, you know the rule is you should never tell me anything that your supervisor doesn't already know. So every now and then I have to say, well, have you told your supervisor yeah. that? And so that it becomes we know one another, but there, there's order to how we work together. So you were talking about how much you enjoy dancing, <laughs> and you might notice that I am dressed a little unusually today. Why I bring that up is with dancing, with dressing in my leader hosen, um, the idea of you need to have fun as a leader, too, and you need to be able to kind of show off that fun. Were there other ways that you were able to have fun and help build morale with the teams that you led? Well, you know, I also talk about balance. Yes. Yeah. If you are so tired that you are grumpy all the time and mm. you can't think, uh, that's not a good thing. So the whole notion of being balanced and taking some time away from things. But then working so that 
people are rewarded based mm-hmm. on their reward system. I said when I went to Cedar Valley mm-hmm. and I said to people, what do you most want? And people said, we want you to give us a birthday card <laughs> on our birthday. Uh, but when I was here at uh, LCC, I always, for those things we were trying to do, online instruction, is I put money out there and said, oh, here is $30,000. Who's going to come to do the Mm -hmm. things we want to do and get this money? And uh, uh, one of the people who worked with me uh, remembered that I charged them week after we created the student services building, the library building. I said, now go tell the world about it. And I'm going to give you money to go to all of the big conferences mm. to present on it. So, you know, that's sort of fun. You're going out of state. But then it allows for us to have a story. And they did that so well that people start coming from all over the nation. Let me see your student services building. Let me see your library building. Well, that's also good for the administration. But you have to know what it is the people want and then you have to have reward systems. So when they get that one more thing in Cedar Valley, people wanted me to teach a class. Mm-hmm. And so I taught a leadership class. And so, boy, people would look, I'm in Dr. Wimbish's leadership class. Uh, so you have to know what's exciting to people and you have to be willing to do those things. And, and, I'm, and I, I'm glad you shared about balance because I was going to ask you about that. You talk about... Um, you talk about the need of leaders to find workplace and life balance. And I was curious, what are some ways besides dancing <laughs> that you find balance? Well, uh, the first thing is I have Sunday. I don't look at, te- I don't look at the technology. Uh, and, you know, sometimes that can sort of. But if people know your standards where mm. you're working, uh, and so I say, look, guys, don't y'all email me on Sunday. I need some time to rest. So you have to have time away from the technology and you have to plan time for your family. Mm-hmm. And when you can integrate those things, it's great. For example, my son at 12 had to learn racquetball because racquetball was my exercise and it was my time to check him out to see what was going on in his life. And so you have to have time. I had my mother just passed uh, at 96. Mm -hmm. So I had to have time with her, had to have time with my husband, had to have time for me to dance and to pull it all together in some way that gives you freedom also Mm -hmm. to be who you are. So you have to sit down. You know, it used to be time management. Now they call it self-management. And what can you give away that you don't have to do? One more thing. Young women now, y'all don't have to go buy your groceries if you don't want to. You don't have to cook if you don't want to. So give away things that add no value. Wow. Give away things that add no No value. value. What about at work? How do you find that balance at work when you've got people pulling from you? people pulling from you in all directions. How do you do that? Well, first thing is, and people struggle with this, I say every leader should work at home one day a month. And boy, you know, people struggle with that. And then I learned from great leaders, one day a week have catch-up time. Mm -hmm. So one day take three to four hours and have catch-up time. Now, if something urgent happens... 
you've got to deal with that. But if people know the deal, uh, my husband and I commuted for when I was here for 10 years. And so people knew my husband is here on Friday. Could we try not for me to have speaking engagements on Friday? And people adjust to that. Uh, and so people also need to know what your world looks like. My mm -hmm. friends know that I'm looking at HGTV on Sundays. <laughs> <laughs> All righty. So um, your book, um, Leadership Wisdom for All Generations, the, the second edition is out now. What did you add to the second edition? Well, the second edition was after we had been through COVID. Uh, the January 6th, uh, we all saw George Floyd killed on TV. And I said in 2022, there were 600 mass murders. Mm. And so I then decided to work with organizations that were impacting some huge issue. I say, for example, there were 27 million people uninsured before COVID. There were 140 million people who were one step away from being homeless before COVID. So now how do you lead? And that gets you to the thousand leading a thousand. So I talk about one in retirement. How does an old lady figure out what she's going to focus on? How do you bring this thousand organizations together around a common purpose? How do you infuse equity into an organization? How do you create intergenerational organizations? So when I leave, the young people know everything I know. And how do we work together to sustain organizations? And then I think I end with balance. Mm. Uh, how do you get old? Uh, and people like for me to say mature. I'm just old. How do you get old? And how do you do it where you have balance, mm. where you're excited about what you want to do, and you live true to your purpose. Mm. Oh, I love this interview. Thank you so much. Um, is there anything else that, obviously, second edition is out, is there anything else you're working on right now that you would like to share with us? Well, I'm working on housing mm. uh, for the homeless, especially veterans. Mm -hmm. Uh, my consulting area is strategic planning. I love strategic planning. So people call me in to talk about that. But my heart is, how could people fight for this country and be homeless? And so uh, I'm working on that in my hometown and in Dallas because I line up things so that I can learn about them. And so that work requires charting the problem, mm -hmm. bringing lots of organizations together. Let me just say quickly, you got to have LULAC at the table. You have to have Native American and Asian groups at the table. Mm -hmm. You have to have the money people. You have to have the people that are going to make the laws to change it. And so I'm enjoying that work. Even sometimes I'm just like, oh, how did we get to this place? So that's the space I'm working in right now. Wow. Dr. Wimbush, this book leaves a legacy of insight from leaders that are meant to be passed on unto the next generation. I want to personally, we want to personally thank you for being our guest today, Dr. Wimbush. You can find 
Dr. Wimbush's book, Leadership, Wisdom, in Our Generations, on Amazon. We would like to thank yeah. you for today's Th- interview. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for being here today. And uh, it was our honor to have you. Thank you so much for having me. Have fun. You have been listening to Written in the Stars, Books and Beyond. Visit lcc.edu library to find the titles discussed in this episode. You can find previous episodes of Written in the Stars and other LCC Connect shows at lccconnect.com. In the words of Miguel de Unamuno, I hope, reader, we shall meet again and we shall recognize each other. <laughs>